Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. Glad to have you here. We are a Bible-based church out of Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and help them become devoted followers of Jesus. We're jumping into part two of our Second Peter series. And here's a question maybe you've thought about before. I know at times I've often thought about this. And the question is this. How can we know if the claims of the apostles are true? I mean, how can we know if Jesus really rose from the dead and offers hope and salvation to all? Is it all just a fairy tale or a myth? In our text today, Peter, through Pastor Nate, is going to tell us how we can discover the truth and where we should turn for the answers we seek. So, with that, let's turn over to Pastor Nate in part two of our Second Peter series, entitled, More Sure. If you uh, were not here with us last week, we're actually um, walking through a New Testament letter called Second Peter. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to uh, go ahead and open up your Bible to Second Peter so you can follow along. Uh, for those of you that don't, perhaps you have a device you could use. Um, really important for you to be reading through and following uh, the scriptures with us as we go uh, this morning. A uh, couple couple things I want to remind you of from last week. Um, I encouraged you last week as we uh, walk through this letter to be reading this letter. It's three chapters long. It's quite quite short. Um, and so you could be reading Second Peter through the week as we walk through this six or seven week series. And the more you read it, the more familiar you'll become with the language, the images, and the more you'll get out of the Sunday morning messages because you'll already be thinking about some of these things. And then when we teach on them, uh, it will stick. Uh, secondly, I encourage you to, to make notes in your Bible. I, I'm, a, I'm a note taker. I love to, my Bible in the margins, I, I take notes of things that stand out to me, things that the Lord's showing me or things that I'm learning, a highlight, underline. Maybe for some of you, are like, that's desecrating the Bible. Then get a good notebook that you keep alongside and, and take notes somehow. Because we don't want to just be readers of the Bible. We want to be students of it. And we want to be able to uh, come back to these things and allow these truths to be reminded um, and strengthen us uh, for the long haul. So, with all that said, uh, last week we looked at the first 15 verses of the letter in which Peter introduces himself. Hey, I'm Peter. I'm an apostle, but first I'm a servant. I'm a servant, and then I'm an apostle. And then he, he goes on to talk about the grace of God and how much God has done for us, how he has provided everything for life and godliness. He, Peter says God has written us a check, and that God has the ability to cash that check. Everything we need, he has provided. And so it would be easy for us to simply go, okay, well, we've received Jesus we're just going to rest on our laurels. And, and for those young people, it means you do nothing. You're vegging, let's say. All right, I'm just going to veg in my Christian faith. And Peter says, no, 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 no. That we must make every effort to supplement our faith with, with virtue, with godliness, with brotherly love. He says, we've got to do some work. We have to, we have to do the work to, to cash the check of all God's provided for us and live out the Christian life. And so today we're going to pick it up in verse 16. We have six verses to cover today. Say, wow, we're going to be out of here early, right? Maybe not. Um, so we're going to pick it up in verse 16. Uh, and actually what I'm going to do today, there'll be no words on the screen. I want you to just follow along. I'm going to read these six verses. We're going to pray and then we're going to kind of dive into them kind of word by word and verse by verse. Here's what it says in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, 
the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke by uh, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray and we'll dive into this. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words of Peter that have been preserved for us to read and study. We ask, Lord, today that as we look at these words, that you would shine a light in our hearts, that you would reveal to us what you intended to communicate through these words. And God, that, that we would not just be those who hear your word, but those who would do your word and be transformed by your word and that we would be people of the word. And so, God, we pray all of this and we ask your presence to be here as we just sung in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. All right. One of the challenges um, to reading and interpreting the New Testament letters is exactly that. They're letters. And maybe you never thought of this, but uh, we have these letters from Paul and Peter and John written to particular churches, to particular groups of people in a particular context and culture. And some of that information we have to guess at, right? And of course, biblical scholars and historians work really hard to go, okay, what were the issues that Peter was addressing? Because, you know, if you wrote me a letter, I'm, uh, you know, I'm having a tough time with my kid or my, my mother-in-law or I'm having a tough time financially. You're giving me information and then I write back to you a letter and say, here's what I think you should do or here's how you need to approach this. This is what the scriptures teach. And I'm writing you a response, but you don't have the original letter, it, it's hard sometimes. You're going, okay, what, what exactly is, is that addressing this or that? And so one of the, the things that we have to do as we interpret the Bible and as we try to understand it is to really kind of understand what's going on. And some of this is done because when we read the other letters in the New Testament, we get glimpses of some of the things that were going on, some of the ideas that were being spread in the early church. And we're going to see in the coming weeks that there were false teachers emerging in the church. Okay, so there are people in the church who are showing up and going, I know, and they're saying stuff that, that Peter and John and Paul and the other apostles say, no, 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 that's not true. Some of the things they were saying um, historically, and we know this through other letters in the New Testament and other historical documents, uh, some were saying Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Like, his physical body didn't rise, it was like a metaphorical rising, his spirit rose. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. If his body didn't rise, we're hopeless. Like his body rose and the apostles are witnesses to that. So they're going, no, no, that's not true. Others came and said, well, the God of the Old Testament, and the God of the New Testament are two different gods. Well, that would be very convenient to believe that. But the New Testament, I was like, no, 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 that, that's not the case. Christ fulfills the Old Testament and connects all those dots. Uh, some came along saying Jesus wasn't really God. He was an angel. And the New Testament author is like, no, no, no. We saw this last week. He is Lord and Savior. He is, he is God made flesh. Here's, here's an idea that I think Peter's addressing. Some were saying that Jesus was born human. And you'd be like, yeah, the incarnation. No, no, no. Not God made flesh, but he was born a human like you and I and became divine through special knowledge of God. And you too can become divine if you just have the right knowledge. If, you, if we get the right information, if you put the right formula in place, you can become divine. This was a teaching that was going on in the early church. So Peter's writing to some of these ideas. And as we're listening to his words, he's responding to some of these things. And he's trying to set the record straight. Does that, that make sense? Does that frame it for us? Okay. Um, and so one of the questions, the question that we're really uh, uh, wrestling with, and we'll put up on the screen, is how can we know what is true about Jesus? How can we know? 
what is true about Jesus. All of us hear stories, myths, and legends, right? Like, if you've ever walked through the grocery store and you see the tabloids, right? Some of you are familiar with the tabloids. You see the tabloids and, and you, you see these incredible claims and pictures and you're like, what in the world is going on? I went online. I lost an hour of my week looking at tabloids online. It was so much fun. Here, so I thought I'd share a few with you. Might as well, you might as well laugh along. Okay, here's one. Man's 174 mile per hour sneeze blows wife's hair off. <laughs> this was worse than Hurricane Andrew. That's what she says. Um, now, do you believe that? No. Okay. You don't. Um, here's one. Dolphin grows human arms. I don't, oh, I do have a picture. Look at that. eh? believable I don't, uh, official government photo. Yeah. They released it to the weekly world news. Um, this is my favorite mini mermaid found in tuna sandwich. The guy says, I asked for mayo and I got this. And he's holding a little mermaid. It's like, it's unbelievable, right? And so, you know, we laugh because these things are absurd. We laugh because we've experienced enough of life to go like that. That stuff doesn't happen. And yet what's, what's, what's interesting about this is that when we, when we read the Bible, and specifically, let's think about Jesus. When we read about Jesus, we hear stories, we read stories about how Jesus opened blind eyes and how he healed the sick and how he walked on water. And, you know, if you grew up in church, it's like, well, of course, I saw it on the flannel graph. You know, I read it in my picture Bible. Of course it happened. But, like, some of these things are, are hard to believe. Like, we understand these things defy the laws of nature. And we go, okay, we're rational people. And, and that's why I think when, when Peter is going to address how do we know the claims of Jesus are true, he actually, he says this. Let's start in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. So when we talk to you about Jesus... We weren't telling stories. We weren't devising myths that sounded good. And you have to understand, like, Peter's writing to a first century audience, okay? They're living in Rome, so if you know anything about Roman culture, they had all of their Roman gods and mythology around all these gods. Most of the Roman gods were built kind of on and renamed Greek gods that preceded them. And honestly, some of the myths are weird and twisted that these people believed. I, I looked some up because I'm not very well studied in Greek mythology, but I was reading about the uh, Greek god Cronus, right? This is the father of Zeus and Poseidon and all. So Cronus, uh, Cronus is, is this, this being that rises to the highest rank of the gods, according to Greek mythology, okay? And Cronus and his wife have a bunch of baby gods, and he's got five of them, and he decides that these baby gods are going to grow up and take his throne, so he eats them all. I'm not making this up. His wife has a sixth child. His name is Zeus. And she's so worried that her husband is going to eat her child, Zeus, that she hides him away in a cave. And she wraps up a stone in a blanket and pretends to nurse it. And Cronus comes in and he's like, give me that. And he eats what he thinks is his sixth child. But of course, Zeus is safe in a cave being raised by a goat. I'm not making any of this up. And so when Zeus grows up, he, he comes, you know, kind of in secret. And he comes to Cronus and he feeds him wine mixed with mustard. You're like, why? Because it makes his father's stomach sick and he vomits up Zeus's five older siblings who are now fully grown, of course. And a war breaks out in the heavens and these children of, of Cronus uh, lock him away in Tartarus. Like, this is what people believed. And so when Peter comes writing, like, let me tell you about the real son of God. Let me tell you about God incarnate who came to earth. And he's like, this is not a myth. This is not a story at all. He goes on to say this, but he says, we were eyewitnesses. Everybody say eyewitnesses. 
In other words, we saw Jesus. We walked with him for three and a half years. We ate meals with Jesus. We saw him put mud on eyes and they washed them off and those eyes came back to life. We saw him raise Jairus' daughter. We saw him walking on the water. Peter's like, I actually walked on the water with him for a little bit and then I sank. And we saw him crucified. We saw him resurrected. Ate breakfast with him on the beach. We watched as he ascended into heaven. Like, this isn't some story my grandfather gave me about Zeus or Poseidon or some other ancient god. He's like, we met God. We're eyewitnesses. That's, that's part of our story. Peter's like, let me tell you about this Jesus that I've experienced and this Jesus that I know. Verse 17 He's going to cite a specific example here in verse 17, 18. A specific example. He says, When he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So he's like, We heard a voice from heaven saying these words. He says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What is he talking about? Some of you will know this story. He's actually referencing a story that we have in Matthew 17. And in Matthew 17, it tells us exactly what happened on this particular day. Jesus is going up the mountain to pray, and he invites three of his 12 disciples, his his inner circle, three, Peter, James, and John. He says, I want you to come with me. And Jesus and these three disciples head up the mountain with Jesus. And uh, let's read. I'll read it. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Matthew 17, beginning in verse 1, tells us what happens. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter... James, John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And it says he was transfigured before them. And you go, what does transfiguring mean? Well, let's keep reading. It's going to explain. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So Jesus is standing in front of them, and next thing you know, his face is like the sun. And his clothes are white so what are they seeing? They, they know what the human Jesus looks like. They're now seeing him in his heavenly form. They're seeing his glory. They're seeing the, the Bible actually tells us in Revelation that when we get to heaven, there will be no sun. There's no need for sun for Christ will be the light. The light coming from him will light everything. So they're getting a glimpse, not of like Jesus, the man, but of Jesus, the son of God, right? Pun intended, <laughs> son of God. They see, they see him in his glorified form. They're having this incredible experience, exactly what they're talking about. Now, notice what happens next. It says, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So Jesus is standing there radiating light beams. And Moses and Elijah show up and they're, the three of them are having a conversation. Now, what were they talking about? Nobody knows. I have guesses. First of all, Moses represents the law, right? The law of God given in the Old Testament. Elijah represents the prophets, The law pointed the way to God and what must be required to be accomplished by us. And and the prophets told us that we're not doing that and that we needed a Savior to do it for us. And Jesus shows up to fulfill both the law and the prophets. So here's Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. My guess is they're encouraging Jesus because he's about to die. That's my guess. They're like, you got this. Man, everything that we spoke, everything that God has spoken to this point all hinges on this moment and you're going to do it. You're going you're gonna to bring to redemption sons and daughters from every tribe and tongue. And they're encouraging. This is my guess. I have no idea what they were saying, but there's this conversation going on between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And I love this in, in, in uh, Matthew 17, verse 4. Peter speaks up. This guy cannot keep his mouth shut. 
And Peter, like they're over there having this conversation that's significant. We'll never know what it was about. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, so good that we're here. They're all, t- they stop. Like, Who's talking? What? It's so good we're here. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I need, I need, I need some witnesses. <laughs> I need some witnesses. That's true. Uh, and then Peter doesn't stop. He's like, if you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, I have no idea how Moses and Elijah reacted to this. Jesus probably just shaking his head. Moses and Elijah like, you picked him? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but Peter's like, man, it's so good that I'm here to see this, to experience this moment. I'll build tents. And then we don't know what happens next, but apparently Peter keeps talking. Like, I'll get some wood over there and we'll get some leather and some leaves. And like, he's, he just keeps talking. The reason we know that is because it literally tells us in the next verse that God, the father speaks out of heaven to stop him from talking. (laughs) Says this in verse five, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. This is the nicest way I've ever heard someone go, zip it! Shh! Stop talking. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to figure out what in the world you're supposed to do next and just listen. Now, how many of you know we'd probably all do well if we stopped talking so much and started listening a little more? But not only listening to, of course, listening to our family and friends and the people around us, but listening to what God has said. Listening to His words. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just, I get so busy in my mind. I'm trying to figure out every, I'm trying to solve every problem. I'm trying to curve off every disaster that's coming down there. And I'm just working so hard and talking so much. And God's like, just stop and listen to what my son says. Now, interesting fact. There are two times in the New Testament that God speaks out of heaven about Jesus. Some of you remember at his baptism, I think it's Matthew 3. Jesus is baptized, and when he comes out of the water, a voice speaks out of heaven and says the very same words. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Interesting to note, this happens two times. The first time it happens is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He hears these words. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And that actually sustains him because he's about to go into 40 days of fasting, 40 days of temptation before he begins his ministry And it is the word of God that sustains him through that period of time. And now we hear the voice of God one more time saying the same thing. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And he needs to hear this before he's about to go through his suffering in the garden and crucifixion and death. Can I tell you something? The thing we need most is to hear God's word speaking into our hearts. You are my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Not because we've not because we've achieved that because because we're in Christ. He's well pleased with Christ and Christ is in us and we're his sons and daughters. We need to know that and we especially need to know it when we walk through difficult times. Because let me tell you something. When you lose your health, what else do you have but the word of God? When your family breaks down, what else do you have? When your money's all gone, what else do you have but the word of God? There's something left to stand on if we have his word. Are you with me today? Peter's literally saying in our text here, we saw Jesus. We saw his face glowing like the sun. We heard God's voice that shook the ground from heaven. You know what Peter doesn't say, though? See, if I was writing this letter, I'd be like, we saw Jesus, and if you just saw him that way, then you would know for sure, too. But that's not what he's going to say. 
See, because Peter isn't actually going to make the case that you and I need to experience what he experienced. He's not making that case. I think one of the reasons why he doesn't make that case is because every experience is personal and subjective. Have you noticed this? One of the things I love to do when I'm traveling or about to travel is I love reading the reviews of the places I'm going to go, like the hotel, the restaurant, the resort. It's so fun. Like if you're ever bored on a Friday night because you have no friends, just (sighs) read reviews. It's so much fun. TripAdvisor, amazing. And some of the reviews people write are just so funny. Because it it amazes me. You can go like the most amazing place in the world, the most amazing resort. It's like five star, five star, five star. Amazing. The best, best experience ever. One star. Terrible. How is it possible? Same place. Totally different experience. I, I, I was looking at some last night. I couldn't sleep last. I couldn't. I was looking at one. Somebody went to the Great Wall of China. That's on my bucket list. Like the Great Wall of China. You have to understand, the Great Wall of China is over 20,000 kilometers long. Built over 2,000 years. This guy shows up, gives it a two-star rating, puts his comment, just a wall. <laughs> Stars. And then the next one I see, Taco Bell. Five stars. How is this possible? Unbelievable. One guy went to this beautiful beach resort, like one of the top places in the world. One star. In his comment, the beach is too sandy. <laughs> and the funny thing is, we laugh, but, but, but people can read the same Bible, they can hear the same stories about Jesus, and some people, it like transforms their life and heart and addiction, gone, family turned around, everything changes, and someone else goes, ha, 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 garbage. Not the Eiffel Tower, awful tower, right? <laughs> it's amazing to me. And I, I'm, I'm honestly convinced if Jesus showed up on this stage and his face was like beaming and you're all like putting on your sunglasses and you hear the voice from heaven, someone would walk out of here and be like, yeah, good, good lighting effects. Somebody would discount it. Somebody, so experiences are exactly that. They're personal experiences. Peter's not going to make the case that we have to have this experience. We need to see Jesus, hear God's voice. He actually says this. He says, and we have something more sure. Can we all say more sure? That's bad grammar. Like my, my Word document kept trying to fix it. I'm like, no, it's the Bible. Leave it alone. It's, so we have something more sure. He's saying we have something more sure than seeing Jesus' face glowing on a mountain. We have something more sure than hearing God's very voice booming in our ears. We have something more sure. What exactly is that something? He says the prophetic word. Now, when he refers to the prophetic word, what he's talking about is, is what we have in this book, the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. Uh, He would include the the teachings of Jesus that are found in the Gospels. He would include what he's writing, because he's affirming it all, and he would include Paul's writings and some of the others that he does in 1 Peter. So he's basically saying we have the Scriptures, the prophetic word, that's what we have, and this is actually better than Jesus' face glowing and a voice from heaven. Now, you're probably thinking, no, I'd actually rather the other. I think that would be way easier. And you might be right, but he says we have something more sure than all of that. The prophetic word is the scripture. Now, this book is, is not like any other book. Um, I've talked about this before. I'm not going to spend a ton of time. There are a lot of holy books. There's a lot of books that claim to be divine. There are a lot of books that claim to be messages from God, you know, different religions and everything else. Uh, but this particular book is unique in that it, um, it's unique in its composition. It's unique in its message. It's over 40 authors writing over 1,600 years in three or more languages, one message. There are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, about the Christ. 
And Jesus fulfills every single one of them. Like the probability and the odds of that are just so, like I could go on. But the point is this book is like no other. And and Peter's actually saying what we need is actually this. We need the scriptures. This is actually going to be a more sure way of knowing who Jesus is and understanding and receiving all that he's done for us. We need this. And you might think, well, pastor, I don't need the Bible. We have science. We have mathematics. I have the Holy Spirit. I don't need the Bible. Can I tell you something? Jesus needed the Bible. (laughs) When Jesus went into the wilderness and Satan came to tempt him, do you know what he said? It is written. And he quoted the prophets. Right? He needed the scripture. Guess what? You and I need to know what this book says. It reveals who God is. It reveals his character, his will, his plan, his truth. And when we open it and when we study it and we put it in our heart, it allows us to know who God is and to move forward in the way we ought to. So he says this, he says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word. And then he continues to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He actually describes. So, you know, I want you to kind of think about this in, in imagery. He's saying we live in this dark world. We're in this dark place. We need truth. And he's like this, this word, this this, this thing, the scriptures, the prophetic word we have, it's like a light shining in that dark place. It's, it's revealing something about God where there's no knowledge of God. And it's like a light. So, I mean, in our modern day, we have, we have street lights, we have flashlights that project lights, we have all these kinds of things. But in the ancient world, they didn't have any of that. What they have? They had lanterns. So you had a lantern, a candle, and it threw light just enough so you could see that you weren't falling off a cliff, just so you could see the next step in front of you and you walk. That's why I think it's Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's like your word shows me how to take the next step, how to trust you, how to move in the right direction. And he says, we ought to pay attention to the scripture as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now, the reason why we have to pay careful attention to what this book says is because of this. Because we do not see everything that is in it clearly. Did you know this? We do not see it clearly. If, if you are opening up the Bible and you think you've got it all figured out and you've interpreted it perfectly and you understand everything about God because you are the perfect Bible scholar, like, you are mistaken. I love what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13. He's talking about love. He's talking about knowledge of God. And he says, For we see in a mirror dimly. You ever looked in a really dirty mirror? You're kind of like, gotcha gums, like, what am I seeing? We look into a mirror dimly, but then he says, one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. One day, everything that's in here that we don't understand will make sense. One day, we know God's love just a little bit, and we experience his love in growing measure day by day, but one day we're going to see all of it and experience all of it in its fullness. That's amazing. That's so exciting. We see in a mirror dimly, but one day we'll see face to face. So that means that we must be careful to read interpret and apply the scriptures each and every day. I don't know if you know this, but when we read the Bible, we actually read it through the lens of our culture. Someone reading it in the 1500s read the Bible differently than you do today because of your education, because of your experience, because of the culture around you. And we don't even recognize how much of what we're reading is being tainted and shaped by the way we were raised, the things that we were taught to believe. And so we have to do our work to understand what this book says. I believe that God's word, this book, is unerring in the message that God is communicating through the people who wrote it. But I do not believe for one second that our interpretation is unerring. You with me? If people come up like, Pastor, I know when Jesus is returning. I know the day. I know the hour. I'm like, really? Jesus didn't know. 
But you know, yep, done the math. I'm not very good at math. I'll just keep serving Jesus till he comes. But that's great. Hey, Jesus. Or hey, Nathan. I discovered what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. People have been trying to figure that out for centuries. What was Paul's thorn? Like, ah, it was definitely his wife. (laughs) Or he had a toddler. I'm not sure. It's one of them. It's one of them. And I respond, I don't think Paul is married. And then they get mad. <laughs> we, we, we read the Bible and we seek to understand what God is saying to us. And it's like a light to our feet and to our path. He continues, we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention is the lamp shining in a dark place. And then he says this, I love this, until the day dawns. And we'll stop there for just a sec. What day? What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. Now, if you're new to church, you may not know this. But Jesus came to this earth and he he gave his life for us. But he's coming again. We probably should talk about that more. He's coming again. The second coming. And Malachi 4 talks about it. And... And there it, it talks about how when he comes, he is going to, he's going to judge the nations. He's going to remove evil from the world. And those who have faith and trust in him are going to be healed and glorified. And, and it's, so it's going to be a terrible day for some and the most incredible day for others. And so he's like, while we're waiting, so we're, we're seeing dimly, we're trying to discover who God is and follow his lead. And we don't always get it. And we're stumbling around in the dark and all we have is his word. And we're holding on to that. And as we do that, we do that in hope and anticipation that one day he's going to come. And we're going to see it all clearly. One day he's going to come and we'll be fully saved. One day he's going to come and our bodies will be healed and our minds will be healed and our family will be restored and all of these good things. So we're, we're doing that and we're waiting for this incredible day to dawn. So it's this idea. Don't you catch the imagery? Till the day dawns. So you're in the darkness and you're waiting for morning to come, which is Christ's return. And then he says, and the morning star rises in your heart. Oh, the, the imagery here is incredible. Okay, let me track with me. The morning star is something the ancient people, I mean, they, they used the stars to navigate. They used the stars to know the times and seasons. And before the dawn would come, there would be a star that would come visible in the, in the horizon, which would tell you morning is about to break. You don't have a clock. How do you know what time it is? There's the morning star. It's about to be dawn. The sun is about to break through. And it could be a different planet or different things. But the morning star was a sign that morning and the light was about to come. But he doesn't just say the morning star. He says, until the morning star rises in your hearts. What is that talking about? Well, let's, let's think about this for a second. In Revelation 22, verse 16, the very end of your Bible, Jesus says this in heaven, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Peter is saying that not only do we have the word of God to light our way, but the word of God actually becomes part of us, that Christ, his word becomes part of us. And that light that's helping us actually becomes part of us and begins to rise and shine in our hearts till the morning star rises in your heart. So we're not just waiting around blindly for God to come back, but something is happening. We're being transformed. Is this this making sense to anybody? Okay. Let's look at the last few verses and we'll wrap it up. He says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So he's talking about how this book was written. Okay. This book is not a book full of man's ideas. That's what he's claiming. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, he's like, there were, he's saying men wrote this book. 
But they wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit guiding their, guiding their words. Now, what's cool about this whole idea of inspiration is that these, these books and letters that we have in the Bible that we claim are written from God, they're written in the person's style. It has their grammar. It has their language. There's elements of it that you can see the person, but through it all, God is moving it. And the word carried along is literally a term that means like, have you ever been sailing? And when you sail, what do you do? You put up your sail and the wind grabs it and carries you along. That's the idea. So God, the Holy Spirit, was working through these men to communicate to us through them, through their pens, through their language. So he tells us where the scripture came from. Peter says there is something better than Jesus' face shining brightly. There's something better than hearing a voice from heaven. It's like, you want to hear God? He's like, God has spoken to us. That's what Peter says. He's spoken to us through the prophets and through his holy word. There's, there's three technical terms that I, I want to share with you as I close. Uh, one is this, um, and these are sort of the three-legged stool when it comes to the scripture uh, and, our, and, and how we interact with it. Number one, and the word is revelation. I mean, you've heard that word before. So revelation means God has revealed himself. He, he spoke to the prophets or, or people experienced things and experienced God and wrote down what God did. Okay, so that's revelation. So in the Bible, we have revelation. The second thing we have is inspiration. And inspiration means that God was working through men, through history, to tell a story, to communicate what he wanted to communicate to us. As I said, through their style, grammar, it's the Holy Spirit writing this book through inspiration. But here's the third one, and this is the one we forget. Illumination. That means that the same God who revealed himself and the same God that works through the authors, that same God and that same Holy Spirit actually works in your heart to reveal to you the truth that God has said. Illumination. That's why two people can read the same verse and one goes, that means nothing. And for someone else, it can transform their life. It's because God himself is at work revealing, illuminating that scripture in your heart. See, I I could stand up here today and I could share with you dozens of fulfilled prophecies. I could show you the historical power of the Bible and how it's transformed nations, cultures, family, millions of people's lives. I could read you the same words that transform their lives and it would do nothing for you unless the Holy Spirit does something in you. Unless he illuminates that word. Unless this word, which is a light, gets illuminated inside you. I was teaching at a youth, a youth conference thing one time and I was trying to share this principle with kids in a simple way and I had like a dollar store light in my shirt. I wish I had one this morning, you know. Because I had the light out here and I shut off the light and I clicked and my shirt started glowing and the kids were like, whoa, we want one of those. It was, it was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> wish I had that. It, it wouldn't shine through the marijuana leaves, I, I don't think. Um, anyway, that's <laughs> what they look like. Um, the same people. We, we talked about this last week, about how there's two different types of understanding and knowledge. One of them is gnosis. That's the Greek word that means like knowledge, facts, information. And epinosis. And epinosis is when you experience something, when you truly know it. Right. And and I gave the example of like somebody can learn about the war, but then having been there and experienced it on the front lines, very different, very different. We understand that. And in the same way, we can read and know the Bible. But something powerful happens when the Bible comes alive inside of us. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Epinosis, an experience whereby we see who God is through his word. And it happens by the spirit. I've literally watched people who are afraid of God running from him 
and, and through something they heard or read in this word, and the Spirit of God actively working, they have that epinosis experience where they were running from Him and fearing God, and now they love Him and call Him Father. That's a, that's a radical transformation. I've seen people who are full of anger and spite towards family members, a father, a mother, a sibling. And, and God breathes something through his word into their heart and there's forgiveness. And then they're, all of a sudden it moves from hatred to love. It's like, how is that possible? It's possible when the morning star rises in your heart. I've seen people move from woundedness to healing in an instant. And it, and it happens because the light of God's word mixed with his spirit, brings healing. I want to read one passage of scripture. I'm going to pray for us. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul's actually writing to the Corinthians, and he's talking about how um, people would read the law. They would read about Moses and the Old Testament, and they wouldn't see Christ. They were, like, blinded to it. They couldn't see it. But that once we receive Christ and trusted him, that, like, the veil is removed, and we can now see what God was trying to communicate through it all. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all now, through Christ, through the power of His Spirit working us, with unveiled face, the blinders have been lifted, behold the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed, changed, into the same image as Christ from one degree of glory to another. This is Paul's way of saying the morning stars rising in our hearts because we see and understand what God has said and who He is, and it's all through His Word. So let me pray with you today. Um, I'm guessing, there's, I'm guessing there's some people here today and you would just say, I, I, I need that. I need to experience God in a personal way. I need to experience God's love. I need to experience his voice speaking to me. You are my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And I really do pray this morning could be that moment for you. Um, and all it takes is trust and faith to move in his direction. So would you bow your heads uh, with me? I want, I want to pray. Father, we just take a moment to breathe. Thank you for the words of Peter. We don't need to see your face glowing or hear a voice from heaven because we have your word in front of us. And Lord, I know I speak for many of us in this room when I say it, we, we've neglected your word. We haven't read it. It's collecting dust. But God, as we commit to opening this book and reading it and seeking to understand it. God, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would illuminate it in our hearts. That we wouldn't just be reading words on a page that mean nothing, but that, that these words on a page would bring light to our souls. That your love, your peace, your joy would shine from within us as we open up your word. And experience it. God, I pray for every person here. And if there's anyone who has never experienced your love, never experienced your voice speaking to them, I pray that today would be that day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it from us. Thank you so much for tuning in. For any more information you need, feel free to reach out to us on any of our socials at Pathway Church PTBO. That's it. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.